Well, good morning. I think I, I may have said this already. I can't remember. This is like my favorite sermon of the year. This is like gloves off, just say whatever I want kind of thing. Um, I just preached four sermons like 48 hours ago, okay? Uh, and so when it comes to this, this like sermon, the one right after Christmas Eve, what I try and do is just get as quickly as I can to a point. And then someone's like, about time. Yeah. So I get as quickly as I can to, uh, to a point that I think and I pray will be helpful for you as you enter into your new year and as you wrap up this year. And so that's my goal this morning. I have one verse of scripture, um, which is, which is kind of rare. And uh, we usually look at a whole text. Uh, but we got one and we're going to kind of just dig into it a little bit. And I hope that this will be a verse that you'll carry with you into 2021. Maybe memorize it. It's not hard. Uh, you can do it. Proverbs 21, 21. He who pursues righteousness and kindness finds life, prosperity, and honor. Proverbs 21, 21. He who pursues righteousness and kindness finds life, prosperity, and honor. What you pursue will dictate what you find. What you pursue will dictate what you find. If we did a survey at the beginning of our talk here on your phone, and I said, how many of you want life? And the word life here, I'll explain it more, but it's the abundant life. It's the life that is truly life. Everyone would say yes. Oh, we're doing it. Okay. I like it. If I ask you, how many of you want to be known as a person of honor? Of course, you'd say yes. Say, how many of you want prosperity in the biblical sense or the world sense? You'd say yes. So we want life, the life that is truly life, a good life. We want prosperity. We want honor. How do we get to those things? What you pursue will dictate what you find, said another way, what you pursue will dictate where you arrive. He who pursues righteousness and kindness finds life, prosperity, and honor. So when I was a high school football player, we did a drill called the pursuit drill. And for those of you who don't know what football is, there's offense and defense. And on defense, you're supposed to tackle the other team. Some of you are Browns fans. You don't know what that means either. And so what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to get to the guy who's carrying the ball, and you're supposed to tackle that person. And a drill that we did is called the pursuit drill. And so uh, imagine the stage was a field, and you'd be all scattered around the field like you normally would, the defensive side. And then the offense would be played by like a coach or, or just somebody else who wasn't on the on the defensive side, and there would just be one person. You weren't actually allowed to tackle them, and they would just run with the ball, and they would run at an angle. And the point of the drill was threefold. First, it was that wherever you were on the field to get to the ball carrier at max speed. Second, it was to make sure that you took the right angle when you were going. And so they would run. And so if I was here and I knew the speed, I wouldn't run at a straight line because then he'd be gone. So I'd run at an angle, right, so that I can make a tackle. And then the third thing, the point of the drill, was to make sure that you weren't being a selfish football player. And if they ran that way, you didn't just like stand over here and say, ah, they'll take care of it. Okay. So three 
points to the pursuit drill. Your intensity, your focus, like run at the right angle, and your selflessness, being a team player. Now, that pursuit drill that I learned in high school, uh, football, and, and we did it like every day during defensive practice to, to drill this in, um, helps us understand today this idea of he who pursues righteousness. He who pursues righteousness. One translation says, he who hunts for righteousness. I've never hunted though, so we're not going to tell hunting stories. He who pursues righteousness. He who goes after it with intensity, focus, and selflessness. Let me give you a working definition for biblical pursuit. Biblical pursuit is this, to proactively go after something with intensity, focus, and selflessness. To proactively go after something with intensity, focus, and selflessness. All three elements have to be present for it to be biblical pursuit. Intensity, I'm going to get there as quick as I can. Focus, I'm not going to take my eyes off of where I'm trying to go. And selflessness, I'm not going to try to get to that something for selfish reasons, but selfless ones. That is biblical pursuit. Now, biblical pursuit, well, let me work our definition back into our verse. He who proactively goes after righteousness and kindness with intensity, focus, and selflessness finds life, prosperity, and honor. You want life, prosperity, and honor? Yeah. Then proactively go after righteousness and kindness with intensity, focus, and selflessness. Now, unfortunately, there are false pursuits or fake pursuits. We think we're doing biblical pursuit, but we're not actually doing biblical pursuit because it lacks one of these three things, intensity, focus, or selflessness. So let me give you a couple of them. Let's start with worldly pursuit. Worldly pursuit proactively goes after something with intensity, focusness, for self-centeredness. That's worldly pursuit. You're intense. You're focused. You watch Gary Vee on YouTube every morning, and you want to accomplish something, and you have a goal, and you have the seven steps it's going to take you to get to that goal, but in the end, the only reason you want to get to that goal is a self-centered reason. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. I won't say it's bad at all to have goals, to have dreams, to wake up with intensity and focus and to want to accomplish something. I just won't call it biblical pursuit. Biblical pursuit is proactively going after something with intensity, focus, with selflessness. So that's worldly pursuit. Sometimes we try to trick ourselves into thinking that biblical pursuit is worldly pursuit or that our worldly pursuit is actually a biblical pursuit. The motive underneath is the difference. Here's another one. Short-term pursuit is to proactively go after something with burst of intensity, scattered focus for motivations that change as quickly as storefronts at fallen timbers. Okay? One of these metaphors we can all connect with. Now, here's short-term pursuit. You get really excited, and you have a burst of intensity, and you say, I'm going to read my Bible all 2021. And you get to Genesis 6, and you stop 
at Genesis 6. Or you say, I'm going to read my Bible, right? And then your focus goes, nope, I'm going to get on my social media. Or you have a motivation, like something happens and something motivates you and moves you, but it's one of those fleeting motivators. And so you start something, but then your motivation changes, so now you're over here. Short-term pursuit is, 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 it involves a lot of starting and a lot of stopping and then a lot of restarting and then a lot of restopping. And the cycle just continues. And you might have the same goal right now that you had seven years ago. Short-term pursuit. Let me give you the half-hearted pursuit. You sort of go after something with a level of intensity equal to Michigan's football season and the focus of a five-month-old watching TV for whomever or whatever reason you want. Have you seen a Michigan game this year? Then you know what I'm talking about. Okay. It's an intensity that is lacking. And so you say, I, I want to get this done. I really want to get this done. And you have a, a, a plan or a path on how to get this done. But getting it done means you have to wake up 10 minutes earlier and you don't even have enough intensity to get out of bed 10 minutes earlier. So it doesn't get done. Or it's one of those things in life that isn't going to just get done. Like, in order for it to get done, you have to make it get done. You got to work at it. And then the work seems too hard, and so abandon shit. That's a half-hearted pursuit. Or, again, your focus just starts moving around. And sometimes, also, your motivations change. You don't even know what your motivation is. Why are you going to school? I don't know. What do you want to do when you grow up? I don't know. Why are you spending all that money to go to college? I don't know. You know, if what you pursue dictates what you find, if you pursue, I don't know, (laughs) you find, I don't know. Right? That's the half-hearted pursuit. Passive pursuit is this. You say you want to accomplish something, but you blame the world, the government, your parents, your upbringing, your boss, your past, or any other excuses that seem to fit a cultural normative where somebody at the end will say, yeah, that makes sense. Just stay in your mediocrity. Told you gloves off today. Passive pursuit is when somebody goes, hey, weren't you trying to blank? Like, weren't you trying to get out of debt? And you say, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You just bought a brand new car. That doesn't make sense. Oh, well, here's a reason why. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Just stay where you're at. And that's what we look for when we're passively pursuing something. We just want somebody to come up next to us, give us a little hug, pat us on the shoulder and say, no, it's okay, just stay here. Just stay here. Next year. And then we find whatever excuse will work. It's the government's fault. It's the whatever. Biblical pursuit is to proactively go after something with intensity, focus, and selflessness. And I would say this. The scripture is going to tell us where to start our pursuit. Righteousness and kindness. And I'll explain all five of the words, righteousness, kindness, 
life, prosperity, and honor as I work my way through the sermon. But the idea of biblical pursuit also tells us how to pursue everything else. This is the proper way to pursue something, okay? With intensity, with focus, and with selflessness. Now, I will say, the intensity has to be like a wise intensity, okay? Nobody, like, intensely start pursuing somebody that they want to date and be like, Stephen told me to be intense about this, okay? Might not work out so well, okay? Wisely intense, So the question then becomes this, what are you pursuing? Because what you pursue is going to dictate what you find. And so you've had 365 days to wake up since last year. What did you pursue on your daily pursuit? What were you proactively going after? Because the truth is this, even though I talked about some of those other ones, like the passive pursuit, like you could make an argument that you are intensely passively pursuing something because you do it every day. You can make an argument that you are like intensely, like half-heartedly pursuing something because it's the pattern of your life. What Solomon is interested here in, and I think what the lesson here for us is, is to ask ourselves, what will be the daily pursuit of my life? Without making any more excuses, with, with, without trying, uh, without uh, having motivators underneath that are constantly changing, like, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the Lord, right? Without having my foundation, like, constantly shifting, but having an identity that's rooted in Christ. Okay, I get to wake up 365 days between now and next year. What are you going to pursue? Because what you pursue will dictate what you find, said another way, what you pursue with the next 365 days will dictate what your life looks like a year from now. And he who pursues righteousness and kindness finds life, prosperity, and honor. Sign me up. Like, I'm in. So let's talk about these, these words. Scripture is pretty, pretty clear, right? We're to pursue righteousness and kindness by the way, Jesus says it this way. Jesus says it this way. If you want to find your life, lose it. He who loses their life will find it. He who pursues righteousness and kindness will find what they're truly looking for. What do we mean by righteousness? Okay, um, by righteousness, I don't mean wake up every day and pursue being perfectly religiously, I'm going to use that word and then come back to it, holy. What I don't mean, pursue righteousness doesn't mean wake up every day and make sure that you do every single little thing right. Right? If, if, a, if a show pops up on TV and there's one swear word, make sure you turn it off and repent. It's not saying make sure you become, listen, of course, I'm not saying it's okay to sin and, and you know, just wake up and it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the pursuit righteousness is, is, is not saying become a biblical Pharisee or what we tend to describe them as. It's saying pursue righteousness. It's saying pursue right standing with God. That means the only way we can find right standing with God is through the gospel, which is Jesus gave us his righteousness. So when it says pursue righteousness, it's saying pursue Jesus with intensity, focus, and selflessness. 
I'm going to pursue Jesus with intensity. I'm going to, with speed, I'm going to run to him. With focus, in other words, without my eyes turning to any other thing that I might worship, I'm just going to look at Jesus. With with self-centeredness, I'm not going to go to Jesus, okay, um, like he just exists for, for me to go get what I want. It doesn't mean we can't lay our request before our Father, but as Jesus prayed, we pray his will, not our will. I don't run to Jesus just for me. I run to Jesus because, just because he's Jesus. Just because just you're so in love with him. Pursue righteousness, pursue right standing with God, which is only possible through the gospel. So how do we do this? How, how do we pursue righteousness? Or how do, we, how do we intensely, with focus and selflessness, how do we pursue Jesus? Let me give you just a couple of things that might help this year. First one, you can own your morning. Own your morning. Some of you are familiar with that phrase. Some of you aren't. It's a phrase we use around here. That means waking yourself up every single day and reminding yourself of the gospel, rooting yourself in scripture and prayer, and then being ready to go see what the Holy Spirit wants to do for that day. And a couple of weeks ago, I challenged everybody to a three by seven, which is a pattern that I'm in every morning. But here's the deal. I'm going to offer a holiday discount. One by seven. Just give them seven minutes. 66% off. Seven minutes. Why? Because you can't convince me that you are intensely pursuing Jesus if you can't give him seven minutes a day. I'll have the argument with you. You can own your morning. Waking up every day, rooting yourself back in the gospel, spending time in scripture, spending time in prayer, letting the gospel soak back over your life, and then being ready to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's one way. Another thing you could do is just get in the habit of practicing repentance and remembering the heart of repentance, right? The heart of repentance is, is not, oh, I have to repent because if I sinned and I don't repent, and then I die, I go to hell, okay? That's not the heart of repentance. The heart of repentance is Jesus covered all of your sins once and for all on the cross, but when I sin, uh, I just want to reconnect relationally with my Father, and repentance is a way that God actually begins to change our heart so our actions become different on the other side. And so I practice repentance because it's the most liberating thing. It's a freeing thing. I've used this metaphor before. Repentance is like shoveling snow. The more you let it pile up, the harder it is on your back. The quicker you move, the easier it goes. Tim Keller says it this way. The sign of Christian maturity is the gap between sin and repentance shrinks. Practice repentance. Heartfelt, meaningful repentance and if on your other side of repentance, you don't feel the liberating power of God's grace and freedom, then let's chat about how to properly repent. Third, third thing you could do to pursue Jesus and, and righteousness in this way is seek godly wisdom for your life. Seek godly wisdom for your life. Why? Because what you pursue will dictate what you find. And so if you pursue worldly wisdom, you will find worldly wisdom. If you pursue things that aren't actually wisdom, then you'll arrive at things that aren't actually wisdom. 
If you ask certain people their opinions on certain things, and those certain people do certain things a certain way, then the opinion they're going to give you is going to lead you to do those certain things that certain way. And if that's not the way that you want to do them, then don't ask those people. Dave Ramsey says it this way. Don't ask broke people financial advice. Seek godly wisdom for your life. There's a bunch of it in here. And there's a bunch of good people through Bible study and life groups and mentors and good friendships that can help you do this. And to seek it with intensity and focus. Focus in this one is, uh, nope, James says, if I need wisdom, ask God. And so this year, this year, when you need wisdom, you're going to ask God and you're not going to ask the world. That's one way. Another thing you could do is this. Allow reproof and correction without defensiveness. In Proverbs, one of the recurring themes all throughout Proverbs is this. Fools hate correction. Wise people or prosperous people, in some places, love correction. Want to be told, how do I do better? What did I do wrong? The fool in Proverbs over and over hears correction and says, nope, I'm not going to listen to that. Now, of course, you want to have the right people in your life who are providing that correction. But one of the best things you can do is have a, a, uh, a spirit that will allow you to receive correction from people who love you and people have something to offer and not get defensive. Fifth thing you could do is this. Humble your arrogant self. You say, how do you know that I'm arrogant? Because you just asked how I knew. Because it's in us all. Because humility is one of the keys to transformation. So just humble yourself. And when, when we begin to do these things, and these are just, these are just tips, these are practices, uh, these are things that we can begin to apply into our life that help us when we wake up every morning to decide, I'm going to pursue righteousness and kindness because I want to find life, prosperity, and honor. And guess what? I want you to find life, prosperity, and honor. Desperately want that for all of you. And Finding life, prosperity, and honor is not something that is contingent upon the circumstances of an outside world. Finding biblical life, prosperity, and honor is something that the world can't take. Which means if 2021 is worse than 2020, you can still find biblical life, prosperity, and honor. This is a massively important verse, friends. It is showing us how to wake up every single day. Okay, so we're supposed to pursue righteousness. The second thing we're supposed to pursue is kindness. Kindness or love. Some translations say love, some say kindness. Proactively go after with intensity, focus, and selflessness, kindness or love. What does that look like? Let me give you four phrases of Jesus that might help you understand. The first one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. With intensity, focus, and selflessness. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
By the way, don't fall into the weird like modern lie that love your neighbor as yourself means you first need to know how to love yourself. The assumption is that you already know how to love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a way. Second thing is this. Pray for your enemies. Some of you heard me say this the other day. When Jesus says pray for your enemies, the prayer has to be good. Okay? (laughs) Dear Lord, um, pray for your enemies. Let me show you how this one works. Because I think this helps us understand the whole principle at play here. You want to arrive at life, and I'm going to define life in some ways, but one of the ways I'm going to define it is that it's a place of peace. Okay, And you want to arrive at peace. But the reason you're not at peace is because there is a bitterness, an anger, an unforgiveness, a broken relationship, something that is unreconciled. Um, there is revenge that you want to seek. There is something out there with someone that is inhibiting your ability to have the life that's described in this passage. And what you have been doing, because I this, so I know that you're probably doing it too, is you're trying to pursue that inner peace and you're trying to pursue that life and you think, if I just arrive at the place of inner peace, then I'll be able to love them. And what Solomon is telling us and what Jesus is telling us is that's not how it works. If you just start praying for your enemy and pursuing love, then you will arrive at the place of inner peace. You can't reverse them. And so right now, your life might be a mess because of your anger or hatred or whatever toward that person, but you don't want your life to feel that way, and you're sick of thinking about that person, and you hate that it's dominating and controlling your life. Great. Tomorrow or today, wake up and pursue love with intensity, focus, and selflessness. And that might wake up saying, and that might mean waking up tomorrow and saying, God, Bless that person. Do something great for them today. And the focus part comes in when the enemy says, you don't really mean that. And when you keep doing that, and you pursue it with intensity, you pursue it, and you pursue it, and before you know it, you arrive at life. And it's like the hatred, the anger, the bitterness is gone. What you pursue will dictate what you find. Number three, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's how you pursue love and kindness. Just do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Number four, do your good deeds in secret. How do you pursue kindness and love by doing your good deeds in secret. That's in part what keeps it selfless and not self-centered, right? Like the moment that we do the good deed and then we make it about the public show of it, then it, it's no longer a good deed. It's just like your own personal PR, And so pursue love and kindness. Do it the way Jesus would, in secret, 
and uh, where even if nobody ever finds out, you're still going to do it. Why? Because that's how you know that, that you're doing it and selflessly and it's, and it's biblical. And when you do that, friends, when you and I pursue Jesus or righteousness, when we pursue kindness or love, when we proactively go after these things with intensity, focus, and selflessness on a continued pattern every day, waking up for a year saying, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to lose focus. I'm not going to be passive. I'm not going to be short-term. I'm not going to be half-hearted. I'm not going to be worldly. I'm going to biblically pursue these things. Then God makes you a promise here in Proverbs 21 that you will find life, prosperity, and honor. That's a good life. That's a good year. And the whole Everything else around you that you can't control might go crazy. Imagine that. And you'll still be standing there with life, prosperity, and honor. That's when you look at people and you go, I don't understand how you act the way that you act when this is going on. I don't understand why it's still going well when this happened. I don't understand. And people look and they go, I don't get it. I don't understand. And you go, oh, I'm just pursuing the right things and I'm finding the right stuff. So what do you get to find? Oh, and it's okay to be motivated by the find in the sense of um, acknowledging the fact that like, when we do things the right way, it's called the principle of sowing and reaping in the New Testament. When we do things the right way, there is a harvest on the other end. Now, these can't be the deepest motivations. The initial motivations have to be, okay, and the deepest motivation has to be just pursuing righteousness and kindness for righteousness and kindness sake, pursuing Jesus and love just for the sake of pursuing Jesus in love. But man, God is good in that he turns around and gives us these things. Let me talk about them. Life. I'm going to define life in this way. Soul satisfaction and emotional peace. When you proactively go after righteousness and Jesus with intensity, focus, and selflessness, you will find soul satisfaction and emotional peace. I would submit when you pursue soul satisfaction and emotional peace, you won't find it. But when you pursue those things, then you'll get it. And what does this look like in your life? One thing it begins to do uh, when you get there is it begins to just reverse all of the values in the world. And so when everyone else is afraid, you have courage. When everyone else has doubt, you have confidence. Why? Because you're not placing it in you. You're placing it in him. When everything else is growing crazy, you have peace. When everyone else says, get mad, take vengeance, go after, you can rest. That's one way it begins to look in your life. Another way it begins to look is um, you have a healthy balance of work and rest. And this looks different at every season of life for, for all people. Okay, Jesus taught us this when, uh, when they were talking about the Sabbath and, and, and they were like, you know, what do you say about David's man? You can't eat the bread. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. He didn't say this to David, but he was explaining later. He goes, no, eat the bread. That's fine. What was he doing there? He was showing us, okay, that we don't live under a religious idea of Sabbath and rest, that it, it, it applies itself differently in different seasons of our life, of your life. But when you find this life, you'll find a, a rest and work rhythm. And sure, sometimes it's going to be busier than others, but you find a rhythm in it. Why? Because your motivations are settled, because you know what it is that you're pursuing, because you're focused in that pursuit, and you're not running all over the place. Another way this life begins to look, you have meaningful friendships. 
You'll have an inward sense of peace because you're walking in integrity, so there's nothing for anybody to find out. You'll be able to say no to the things you should say no to without feeling guilty. You'll be able to be radically generous with what God has given you. Why? Because if you have inward peace and soul satisfaction, then when you get more than what you need, you don't need the more that you've been given so you can give the more to somebody who needs it. That easy. And this is the life. I mean, this is like the life. Like when Jesus was saying, you will have abundant life in John 10.10, this is what he was talking about. When Jesus, or when Paul was writing to Timothy at the end, and he told people that they could find the life that is truly life, this is what he was talking about. This is like, when Jesus said, if you lose your life, then you'll find your life. This is what he was talking about. An inward peace and a soul satisfaction. Again, not even contingent upon outward circumstances. Because you can have life, right? The soul satisfaction and the emotional peace and still have difficulty, still have loss, still grief, still feel pain, and still have soul satisfaction and emotional peace. Still have that life that he's talking about. Second thing that is promised here is this, prosperity. Prosperity, some of you are like, whoa, P word. Let me define prosperity for you. Knowing and having the abundance of God's provision with a deep sense of contentment. Knowing and having the abundance of God's provision with a deep sense of contentment. When Elijah was on the mountain and God came and fed him with the the birds, He was starving. Prosperity. See, prosperity is not a number. Like we live in 2020 America, like everyone is going to prosper in a different way, right? And so we don't evaluate prosperity by by digits in an account. Prosperity is the uh, the biblical, uh, biblical prosperity is, is, is knowing and understanding God's provision in your life. And sometimes people's prosperity looks like seven, eight, nine figures, and sometimes it looks like seven dollars or 20 bucks and 20 cents that you hand out to somebody from our Christmas Eve service. Like, biblical prosperity is just having this sense and this knowledge that God is going to, he's going to take care of you. And then it's tied into a contentment. So you can't have biblical prosperity without also having contentment. You can have worldly prosperity without contentment, but you can't have biblical prosperity without contentment. And so one of the interesting things about like a prosperity type gospel or understanding in America is that in the conversation, they're always talking about more, 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 more which makes me think you don't actually have biblical prosperity because you're not content. Biblical prosperity is an understanding that God has like abundantly provided. And some of you, you can look back at 2020 and in very real ways, like financial ways, you were abundantly, God, like great prosperity this year. And others, you look and you go, I didn't know how I was going to do it. And then money showed up. And that was it. That was God's biblical prosperity for you. Either way, what this looks like, 
or what this is, is available to those who pursue the right things first. And when you begin to be biblically prosperous in this way, you know what happens? You're, um, it, it even begins to change your motives again for other things. Like you begin to move from a what can I get to a what can I give. You begin to move from like I, I want to make more for me to I want to make more for others. When you understand God's biblical prosperity, it also tends to make you a very optimistic person. Like people just kind of like being around you because you're an optimistic person because what you have seen over and over is that God just takes care of things. And God just takes care of things. He's just going to take care of things. And, and, and the optimism, it's not rooted in some fake thing. It's rooted in real experience. And so when you pursue the right things, you find life and you find prosperity in this biblical sense. And here's the third thing it says. It says when you pursue Righteousness and love, you also find honor. And here's how I define honor. The reputation and respect associated with a life well lived. Fake honor is when people have to lie at your funeral. Fake honor is when you pursue reputation and social standing, but it's really just about networking, not about serving anyone. Sometimes fake honor is revealed because when the position or place of service doesn't serve you or get enough notoriety, you bail. Real honor comes from a life well lived over a long period of time. Real honor is about legacy. Real honor is about the way people talk about you when you're not there. And when you pursue righteousness and love, when you pursue Jesus and love or kindness, then where it ends with is honor on the other side. Sometimes things are best described by an example. When I think of the word honor, my mind immediately goes to one of our elders, Frank. Frank's in his 70s, and since he has known Christ over these last 30, 40 years, He's just lived a steady, faithful life of pursuing Jesus and showing love. And whoever I meet, whatever circle it might be, speaks highly of Frank. That's honor. You want to be there someday. I do. How do you get there? Pursue righteousness and kindness. By the way, let me just, let me hit this for a second. Because... In a, in a, in a society, um, particularly those of us who are, who are here, who are under 25, in a, in a society that is so concerned about status and creating fake reputation or fake popularity, which is really just a, a shadow of fake honor. We think there are these easy, cheap, quick ways to get there where we will be known and we will be loved and we will be famous, whatever it might be. And the Bible tells us that real honor is a long path of good, righteous, God-honoring, other-centered behavior. Friends, pursue that. It's way better. See, there are ways to pursue all of these other things. Like we can pursue life, but Jesus tells us if you, if you hold on to your life, you'll never find your life. We can pursue prosperity, 
But the Bible tells us over and over, you can pursue prosperity and you might arrive at worldly prosperity, but it will cost you your life. And the Proverbs also has a lot to say about people who pursue honor for the sake of just being known. Most of it that the the sham gets revealed in the end. But if you pursue righteousness and you pursue love, if you wake up every day as those are the things you run after, then you get all three. That's way better. Let me tell you two stories to close. One is like a modern story, and that is, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and there was a guy on the podcast who was an executive at Chick-fil-A in the early days of Chick-fil-A. And he, he says in the podcast, when, um, when I started at Chick-fil-A, I was the second person in the marketing department. When I ended, there were 300, okay? So he started pretty early. And he was reflecting back on a time in the 90s when this um, upstart new restaurant called Boston Market emerged. And Boston Market said that they were going to um, be a $1 billion business by the year 2000. This was in 1992. And so the Chick-fil-A executives went and they were studying Boston Market and they were seeing how Boston Market had taken private equity money and everyone was talking about them on Wall Street and all the business magazines and this is the fastest growing. They're the next McDonald's. They're going to have stores all over the place and they're opening 40, 50, 60 stores in a single market in a um, 12 to 24 month period. And all of the Chick-fil-A executives get back and they're having a meeting and Truett Cathy is there who is the founder and CEO of Chick-fil-A and they're all talking about, hey, if we do this and if we we do that and if we take on some money and we do that then we too can grow and we can add stores quicker and quicker and quicker and they said like there was a moment the executive said where true kathy was the most mad he had ever seen and he slammed his fist i don't know how old true kathy was at this moment he slams his fist on boardroom quiets he says we are going to get better not bigger Because if we get better, eventually we'll get bigger. But if we get bigger, that doesn't mean we'll get better. By 2000, Boston Market was bankrupt, and Chick-fil-A was a $1 billion company. What you pursue will dictate what you find. Especially those of you who are younger. You get to set a life now, 50, 60 years of pursuing the right things. And the earlier I would imagine that you start pursuing these things, then the quicker and the more of the things you'll find. One last story. Let's look at Jesus. with intensity, focus, and selflessness. Jesus pursued righteousness. But whose? Not even his own. He pursued our righteousness. How intense? The cross. How focused? No one or nothing could talk him out of it. How selfless? He gave up his very life so that we could find life. He is actually the picture 
and the crosses of sacrificial love and kindness. He didn't just pray for us, his enemies. He died for us. And what was he given in return? He was given the resurrection life. He was given the riches of heaven and earth. And he was given the honor of the throne next to the Father. Does the principle hold true? Yeah. If it holds true in Christ, it'll hold true for us. So let me ask you again. What are you pursuing? 365 days from now, we'll sit down and I'll have another pre-year sermon. And I hope that for each and every one of you, as this year your daily pursuit becomes righteousness and love, that you'll all be able to say, this year I found more life, I found more of God's abundance and provision, and I found more honor as people begin to maybe even shift the way they think about you than ever before. Let's pray. God, thank you for these, um, this simple verse. One verse with so much truth. And if it sinks into our hearts and if we walk it out, what you can do. Jesus, thank you that you were not passive. You made no excuses. Thank you that you were not half-hearted. You fulfilled it all the way to the end. Thank you that you were not selfish and just made yourself an earthly king. Thank you that you biblically pursued us. And then you gave us life and the riches of relationship with you and the honor of being in your family. Help us now to pursue the right things. Thank you for being so good that you'll help us find those other things on the other side. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.